Thank you for joining us on another week of Comics Pals Reviews. Today we have two Marvel and two DC books. We're going to be doing X-Men number 20, Beta Ray Bill number 3, Strange Adventures number 10, and Robin number 2. So four huge books for you guys this week. Before we dive into all of those amazing books, well, maybe they're amazing. You don't know. You got to listen to find out. Uh, want to let you guys know where you can find us. Of course, our main show, The Comics Pals, drops every single Monday. If you want to hear us talking about these characters and all the places that you can find them, including hard-hitting reviews, interviews, and news segments, come join us over on that show. Leave us a follow, a rating, and a review wherever you're listening to this. If that happens to be YouTube, hit that subscribe button, share the video with your friends, like the video, all that's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. And if you want to talk more with us about comics after this episode, come join our Discord server. You'll have a great time over there. So let's jump right into X-Men number 20. This is the issue that we have all been waiting for. Oh, yeah. Uh, it has been two months since we got an issue of X-Men in our hands. And boy, 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 was it worth the wait. This issue is phenomenal. I am so excited to talk about this comic book right now. So um, before we get into the actual book, let me shout out the creative team because everybody on it did such an amazing job. Uh, of course, you can't have an X-Men book without Jonathan Hickman. I mean, I guess you can uh, and we will soon because he's leaving the book. But... Um, <laughs> uh jonathan hickman of course is the the writer uh on art we had uh francesco mobley mobili uh who is new to the series i think um and sunny go on letters or rather colors excuse me uh letters was clayton cowles and tom muller of course is the designer of the x books wow uh so many things happened in this comic book. I can't believe they fit it all into a, a, a floppy like this. Um, this issue gets back to the mystique element of this series. Of course, those of you who have been following this book and this whole story since Jonathan Hickman got started will remember that Mystique has a wife named Destiny who is aware of Moira and has been aware of her throughout all of her timelines, all of her lives. And she essentially has the power to shut this whole thing down um, because no one but Magneto and Professor Xavier know that Moira's still alive. So Mystique wants her wife to be resurrected. Magneto and Xavier have been stringing her along. They want her to go on a mission to stop Orcus from uh, bringing Nimrod online. And if she does that, they'll resurrect her wife. If she doesn't do it, they won't. And that's the story of this issue. And wow, it's amazing. So I, similarly to you, was very, very into this issue. Um, I think it's absolutely fair to say that this is the X-Men issue we've been waiting for. And not to say that, like, the book's been in a bad spot. I think the stuff no. with the vault has been really good, and we we really dug that. Um, but we've just literally been waiting for this story. We've been waiting yeah, for this. literally this since exact thing. House and Powers, right? Like, this yeah. is it, right? Like, not only, uh, you know, we knew this was going to be a big issue from the time that we saw Nimrod on the cover, right? Full spoilers, when you get to the end and we see that Moira is finally back on the fucking board after, like, two years of being away, obviously this is a big fucking deal. A yeah. capital B-F-D big fucking deal. Um... <laughs> So that in and of itself 
makes this an exciting issue. I think the thing that I was most surprised by was how um, they started to flesh out the humans in the conflict uh, a little bit more. And, like, you know, obviously we've met um, Dr. Alia, I think it is, Alia, um, before. And, you know, we, we went through um, the destruction of the, you know, the forge and, and that killed her husband and everything. But kind of connecting that to Nimrod um, and, and, like, showing us a little bit about, like, uh, her motivation and, you know, kind of... I don't know, I guess, like, the birth of this villain for, for the X-Men um, was really good. And it, it, it kind of harkened back for me to, like, some of those, like, uh, like classic villain stories of, like, the hero inadvertently creates their nemesis, you know? Um, and how appropriate that feels here, you know? That, like, this group that already is you know, has this agenda that is diametrically opposed to our heroes. Um, but then to like really uh, highlight that conflict by making it extremely personal and taking something that was already personal for her and making it even more personal um, is, is good. It's good. It really heightens the, the drama, I think, of this issue. The Magneto and Professor Xavier keep moving the goalposts from Mystique. Uh, the assignment that she's giving here is to destroy the Orcus Forge, uh, which is something that an entire army of X-Men, you know, a Black Ops team couldn't do. They all died on that mission, uh, however many issues ago that was. That was in House of Powers. Yeah. Like number one. And wasn't so, she there? I don't remember. She might have been one of them. She was there. Yeah, she yeah. was one of them. So they keep moving the goalposts for, you know, the, the qualifications that are needed for her to have destiny brought back, which is, you know, according to like Krakoa, uh, charter law is supposed to be um, an inalienable right for people on Krakoa, the mutants that have life because everyone gets brought back and that's not the case for destiny. We all know why. Uh, what's interesting is that they keep fucking Mystique over and she knows it. She knows she's getting fucked over constantly, and they're just rubbing salt in it for no real apparent reason. It's really there's a great reason. No, I know, but like, there's no apparent reason for why they're actively like fucking with her. Yeah, like that's... they're using her. They're, that's the reason. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, like no doubt. But like, I feel like they're doing so at their own peril, right? Yeah. And like, obviously, we as readers know that, but I feel like. I, I had that thought, this issue of just like, what are you doing? Like, you guys know what she's capable of, you know? Like, you they are, have to do this. I mean, but it's like, you're they right. Can't. You're yeah. right. You're right. But like. Could they not do what they did to Sabretooth to Mystique? That's exactly what I was thinking but of. Like, it, I, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is how do you do it without creating a political situation that unravels things but like man i would have tried to take her off the board before you even established the council like she's on it no she's, she's on it and she's been she's been good like she's done everything that's been asked of her this is a mystique who really has kind of like kind of become less volatile she's she's more of a chill person the only thing that's missing from her life to make her bliss is her wife yeah and that's the only thing that can destroy krakoa 
is her wife. Yeah. And I love how Hickman has centered this story in like in this love of not only uh, Mystique's love for Destiny, but also uh, what was her name? Uh, Alina? Dr. Gregor. Dr. Dr. Gregor. Gregor. Yeah. Her love for her husband, Erasmus, is what creates Nimrod. And when I first saw that that's where, the, where Hickman was going, I was like, ah, no, don't do that. But he plays it so perfectly. It, it works so well. Where, you know, in, in, in House and Powers, Nimrod has a personality mm-hmm. that wasn't present before. In old comics. In old comics. Why was that? I don't know that this is why. I don't know that this explains that. That wouldn't necessarily make sense. But it kind of, like, makes sense that he would have some personality. Yeah. Maybe in that timeline, he has a personality for a similar but different reason, you know? Um, it just adds color to something that was a question mark for me before. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been it's been interesting since the very beginning of Dawn of X. We have seen the fragile House of Cards that have been set up by Professor Xavier and Magneto, until obviously like a lesser extent, like Apocalypse, I guess. And we've gone away from that for you know eighteen of these twenty issues in Marauders and uh, X Force and X Factor and Wolverine and all these other uh, side books that have been happening at the same time. Um, but in the back of our heads for two years, this is what we've been waiting for yeah. is what will cause these house of cards to fall. And we're, you know, heading head first into the, uh, into the hellfire club gala. And we know what's coming in the fall with Inferno. And so now it's a matter of watching those dominoes fall. And I'm so curious to see how it goes me too because it doesn't seem obvious like it's like there's a lot of ways it could go we know the type of things are gonna happen we know the broad strokes like mystique's gonna probably fuck everything up uh or more likely xavier and magneto are gonna fuck things up yeah and like that's predictable but it's more like where the chips are gonna fall like um if you haven't listened to the main show this week go check it out uh episode 240 um sean was making the point about how it's like there's kind of like a bunch of different ways that it could zig and zag like it doesn't necessarily mean the end of krakoa right but it could very much mean an end for the status quo that we've come to expect but it could also mean the end of krakoa like it it could it could mean any any of those things really like um, any of them are at least possibilities, and that makes it exciting. And that's because our X Factor has emerged on the board again, like Sean said. We got Moira McTaggart back, folks. She's been reading uh, what looks like, this is what I assumed, I could be wrong, uh, Destiny's like, like diaries. So, I can tell you, they are, uh, they're the diaries of Irene Adler. Canonically, Destiny and Mystique are Sherlock Holmes and uh, are no wait are Irene Adler and Sherlock Holmes respectively. How explain? I don't know. Destiny at some point was Irene Adler, and Mystique at some point was Sherlock Holmes. Interesting, Interesting. and that's how they met and fell in love. Interesting. Also, I'm pretty sure. Um that uh you, you recall the the cartoon x-men evolution yes you, you, sean did you just have that 
I was going to bring up the other X-Men cartoon, the 90s cartoon, because there's a reference there as well. But go ahead. So, there we go. But in X-Men Evolution, uh, um, Mystique is obviously a main character, and mm-hmm. she has a like a blind compatriot who is like always kind of around in the shadows giving her advice, whose name is Irene. So, yeah, Moira's entering the fold here again and she's been shuttered away from everyone else on Krakoa. We have really no idea what she's been doing, but one thing that's evident is, uh, you know, if you look at that last page, there's, you know, nearly half a dozen books in front of her. She's been thumbing through these books pretty intently. She's been plotting. So, yeah. Um, So we see that Mystique goes to forge to, uh, you know, get this this weapon that she's presumably going to use to destroy the Orcus Forge, and they have a great conversation, just mm-hmm. so so brilliantly scripted by Hickman. And 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 this issue is a perfect example of how talented he is. Every single page of this book is so perfectly uh, written. No wasted space. Yeah. And you can tell that Mystique is on the edge. Like, she's desperate to get her wife back. It means the world to her. It, it's more important to her than Krakoa is. And that's a big deal um, because Mystique is dangerous. And that showcases where what she's willing to do to get back this person that she loves. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess I'm showing my ignorance here, but... Uh, I, I wish I could see more comics that feature them together because I'm just before uh, House and Powers I wasn't familiar with this relationship. Maybe um, it's new. I, I don't I don't know. I mean I don't. I go ahead, Kyle. I don't think it is. I think it I think it does go back because I that that what I laid out I think is a well established old thing. Well, but I don't know where you find it. And my well, thought it, is it had to have at least been as old as like the 80s or 90s because if both the cartoons have a reference to it in some regard, then it obviously has some uh, history. Well, famously, uh, when they were creating the backstory for Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. the pitch from, I believe, Claremont was that Mystique was going to have been transformed into a man to impregnate Destiny and that Nightcaller's parents would have been uh, Mystique. Oh, Destiny. yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and that was too controversial in the seventies or eighties when that was being kind of written up. But so this idea of Destiny and Mystique together has been in the cooker for a long time. Got you. Okay, interesting. Um, so we we do see that Mystique goes to the forge. She breaks in. Uh, she she you know uh, shapeshifts. And makes herself look like she belongs there. But then we see, you know, Nimrod be born. And what's so crazy about the way that Nimrod is created here is that essentially the same idea that the mutants are using to resurrect each other, resurrect themselves, is how they bring Nimrod back. Placing the consciousness of a human inside the body of a machine. It's insane. Um, It is insane. It's so good. It's so cool and good. And I love that. that's not explicitly referenced here, but it's obvious. And it's like evolution rising to meet evolution. And that's something that the mutant books have been about, particularly Hickman's books. Mm-hmm. They have showcased that time and time again. And and what I liked about it is it also harkened back to um, 
a, a debate that I remember we were having during the House and Powers era, and and I'm a little hazy on who said what, but I, I feel like I remember uh, us talking about, and I think it was Sean who brought up this idea of like, why do we feel like the mutants are right yeah. to, to do this and yes. the humans are not, right? And I remember one of the, the things that I brought up at the time was that their conflicts mirror each other, but something that I thought was like kind of a subtle um, a subtle nod, I guess, to the idea, right, that the mutants are righteous in some way is that they're natural they're all of their stuff is naturalistic, right? Like even their weapons, their their architecture Krakoa. and all that stuff, it's all made from Krakoa. It's all natural. It all has a connection to nature and their natural um place as the next step in human evolution or what have you right and there were no and, people that had to escape to create uh, a sanctuary right of course um whereas the the human solution right obviously the entire creation of the orcus um project and everything exists to genocide a people so that's not great but also that their solution for immortality for uh for for infinite life for for humans is uh completely unnaturalistic right and is putting the the mind of a person you know the soul as it were right of a person into a machine um and and sure that's like not really materially that different but like it, it i thought it was interesting that um that it again kind of echoed that theme of of nature versus um you know technology or the natural versus the unnatural well it go ahead I was just going to say, I think Powers especially was primarily about this, the, the course that evolution takes, because even beyond the mutant evolution, even beyond the machine evolution of, 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 of artificial life on Earth or the human evolution, Powers takes us into the distant future of like interstellar concepts of, of, of evolution. Uh, Hickman very much ingrains these concepts in that entire uh, in those six issues. So uh, we see the, the the creation of Nimrod, and it's you know again it is this Erasmus inside the body of Nimrod, which was pretty wild in and of itself. What was shocking was how quickly he sniffed out. That mystique was there. <laughs> that those panels were great, actually. In terms of just paneling in this issue, yeah, um, yeah. it's really it was very, good. very. Uh, it, those were the most standout pages uh, panels because you know you have this moment where it's like a jarring image seeing this seven foot five robot hunched over his human wife and they're having a moment of embrace and like mid sentence he's like that's a mutant <laughs> and it's really funny because like when you look at the panels right it's like they're like he's holding her and it's like this very like you know it's like reminds me of like swamp thing and abby arcane kind of vibe and then he just like turns his head and he's like that's a mutant <laughs> like <laughs> i love it i love it it's so good. very very clever and then but then you know we we just talked about pete spoke about um you know the 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 difference between mutants and humans trying to preserve their lives indefinitely and stuff like that and i think if you strip all the good and bad away what you have is species trying to survive mm -hmm. and that is inherent right and so nimrod here is willing to sacrifice the part of himself that loves his wife in order to stop mystique from destroying the orcus forge 
which according to the, the perspective of these people is the only thing that will prevent mutants from taking over earth and either subjugating or eliminating human beings from earth. Um, and that leads to a tragic moment in this issue where we see that Nimrod's humanity is essentially burned away by him sacrificing a duplicate of himself to stop mystique. And I really felt something for not only Nimrod, but for uh, Dr. You said Gregory. Gregor. Yes. Dr. Yeah. Gregor. Um, I really felt something for them yeah. in that moment. And I connected to what they're dealing with here. You know, um, this is, this is rough. This is a battle for their species that they're engaged with. Yeah. I like stories that write conflicts that way, right? Like wars don't have good and bad people. They just have sides. Also, you know, Mystique comes off sympathetic here. Dr. Gregor and Erasmus come off sympathetic here. The people that don't come off sympathetic here, once again, are Professor Xavier and Magneto. Good job. You're absolutely right. Uh, And that is the thing that you know, throughout this entire series, one consistent theme that uh, Hickman has laced throughout is that they're they're not necessarily right. They're not necessarily good. What they're doing, what they're attempting for their people is for the betterment of their people. But they have become in love with themselves and in love with what they have accomplished and there is no stone they won't they won't turn to keep this going yeah and that's at the cost of anybody that's a good way of phrasing it sean because if i recall correctly a big reason moira was shuttered away is because of exactly what you're describing how magneto and xavier began to smell their own bullshit that was her idea though moira was the one who decided that she should be isolated no but like she was like i don't want to work with these two anymore yeah. Well, it's 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 not exactly that. She basically a knows she has to be away because of destiny, but also because if anyone ever knew that yeah. she had lived all these times, and if anyone ever knew that you know mutants always end up screwed, it could destroy what they've built here. But then the other side of that, her personal feelings about these two is that hubris has has defeated them essentially. Yeah. Also. Um, it's worth pointing out because we're talking about the morality of the um, Cohen society here. And this is something that came up in the very beginning of our conversations about this. The fact that professor Xavier who in pop culture standing is an altruistic man standing up for the, uh, an, an oppressed groups of people is working with apocalypse who is uh you know, a, a genocidal monster and Magneto, who is, you know, a, he's a mutant supremacist. Uh, that makes, that pulls Xavier down into the mud. So uh, how, yeah. how good can our brain triumvirate be, so to speak? Well, I think uh, Apocalypse turned a new leaf. He sure did. Magneto and Professor X are fascinating in this story because, you know, they, again, they don't care. Like, they're down to do anything they have to do to maintain this. And I think when, when we're 
you know, a couple of years from now, or maybe more recent, we or maybe sooner, we don't know. When we're, you know, evaluating this whole thing as a whole, I think one of the key elements that we're going to have to talk about a lot is these two and how far they fell. Um, but yeah, like they're not great right now. And uh, it's just, it's amazing. But so this issue ends with Moira returning the first time we've seen her in a couple of years. And um, the tease for Hickman's next book, Inferno. And it features, um, you know, we talked about this on the main show, so we're not going to do that too much here, but it features um, Magneto and Professor Xavier, Mystique, Emma Frost, and Moira and a baby. We don't know what necessarily what any of those things mean or how they relate to each other um i think now that i'm thinking a little bit more about this mystique might actually be able to get emma on her side i think that um if she tells her what's going on that emma might sort of um see her side of things and that could spark a civil war within krakoa which could be a big deal um but this issue in and of itself for me perfect Nothing more I could have asked for. Nothing more that I wanted. It fulfills everything that I needed it to. Um, long time coming. Happy it arrived. And if this is what we can expect from Inferno, then please just get me to that point. Please just get me to that book. I need yeah. that book. Let's do it. Just to connect to the Inferno point quickly, I didn't realize this when I read it, but on that last page, the Moira page, the captions are what she's reading. Mm. So that's destiny speaking. This this place will seem to be hope for our kind. When those yeah. days come, remember these words, bring me back. And if you cannot, if they will not, then burn that place to the ground. Oh, and those were famously from Hawksbox. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Those, so there that's you go. what she told her. Mm. And then you're you're intuiting that kale from where, what's giving you that impression. Just the it just that that nobody. It doesn't really make sense that anybody else would say that in that moment. I think that's the only connection to those words. So I think Moira is reading those words in the the diary, perhaps. Oh, that I, think makes, that, yeah. I think that makes sense. That does make sense. Or at the very least, I, I forgot that she said those words in Hawkspox, but that's the link to Destiny is those words and Irene and the diary. Okay. So burn like this place that. down leading into Inferno. Right. Yeah. Um, quickly, the on the art uh, we mentioned it a little bit earlier but this is a very good looking book as well the paneling is excellent um the entire sequence on aboard the orcas ship uh is awesome looking nimrod's design is uh really good and um he's been a standout character not only from a visual perspective but just from a character perspective overall throughout this entire series he comes across here as extremely imposing when he's choking mystique um he's so massive and he just looks and, and is an impenetrable force um and i think that um mobily did a great job of bringing that to life great colors too uh, yes. a lot of the warm pinks that i know i associate with pete and stuff because i know he likes that oh yeah just uh 
know, X-Men is the book for Marvel right now. Uh, if it doesn't look good, what are we doing? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got a lot more books to talk about than X-Men. We spent like almost a half hour on that. Let's jump into Beta Ray Bill number three. Uh, this is by um, Daniel Warren Johnson, who wrote and drew it, and then uh, Mike Spicer, who provided the colors for this book. What do you guys think? Oh, this book is great. This might be my favorite book of the year. I, I'm there with you. Yeah, uh, it is. I. It's just truly a delight. And, so, and I go ahead. It's so pretty to look at, mm-hmm. you know, and like all the character stuff's great. Like uh, what's his name? Scourge. He's very entertaining this entire time. And all the interactions between Scuttlebutt and Beta Ray Bill are engaging and interesting. And it's, this is a fantastic book. It's brisk. It moves so quickly, but like. It's not frivolous. It's not frivolous. Every space is well earned uh, and exciting. This is a very dynamic book. I think that's what I like so much about it is that it's dynamic. And I think that's the perfect word to describe it because like you said, right? It's brisk without being thin. It's fun and funny without feeling frivolous or too goofy. Uh, It's emotional without feeling heavy handed or like, you know, uh, at odds with the other elements of the story. Like it's, it's, it really is everything that, I think like a good superhero book can be. And on top of that, it has a really, really, really strong artistic voice Yeah, in, uh, in Daniel Warren Johnson, where it's like, it's not just a pretty book or a good looking book. It's also a unique book. Like there aren't other books on the shelf from the big two that look like this um, period. So I think it's one of those things where like, if it were just that, that would be enough to to make it special and warrant it being a book that you pay attention to. The fact that it also has all of those other things that would make any book stand out as being quality, I think really puts it like head and shoulders above a lot of the other stuff that's being put out right now um, because it is so fresh and so refreshing. Yeah, and there's just a lot of... Um... There's a lot of creativity on display here, not just in the paneling and stuff, um, but like I think of how uh, Scuttlebutt makes an axe for Beta Rebel, and that the way that is drawn and conceptually done is really interesting. And the way Beta Ro- Beta Ray Bill uses that axe with like this kind of blue flame hue behind it, that's very interesting and engaging. And it has like it it, it serves. Um, the reading of the book really well because when he throws it you follow the exact pattern of it so well in fact in that note the book does a lot of favors for reading um you can tell this is being illustrated by you can tell this book is being written by a person who illustrates comic books because they're very mindful of this like the onomatopoeia that's utilized here where uh let me find it um one of the uh, worshippers of um, uh, Surtur fires like a missile and it coming out just says whoosh. Like you can, again, it, this dynamic action, it asks you to follow like 
even though it's a, a still image, you can see the things moving. It, it's it's very very well done. I uh, another kind of similar moment, and we we've called this out since the first issue, like how cool it is, how much of the lettering uh, is done by by Daniel Warren Johnson and is like built into the art. Like there's the part um, where like the those goofy demons are like chasing them, and like they're on the the ship that's now turned into a boat and there's like also this great great neat concept it's fun it too like it's it's like fun in a like comic booky way right uh, but it's like it makes sense too because it's been supported by like the groundwork um but there's like the shot of uh of scourge and he's like he's all excited you know because he gets to go shoot guns and that's like what he loves to do and it's just like a, a full shot of him. He's, it's a, a dark blue background. You see like the braca, 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 like all through the bottom. And then there's all these action lines. And then you get to the the next thing and it's of the people he's shooting at. And you just see the bullets and it's got the little zip, 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 zip. Like it's just so great, man. It makes everything feel so uh, like kinetic because then like yes. the next panel, right? And again, all these panels are abnormal. Like the shapes are all weird and diagonal. They have the demons launching one of their fucking guys onto their boat. And, like, the launch is written there. And, like, you can see that it has, like, slashes taken out Mm -hmm. of it because it looks like the platform hit it as it was going. And just cool shit like that, you know? And that's a very Mad Max, Fury Road kind of concept, uh, that, that idea. Yeah. No. This... This book's amazing. Pete and I are dominating the conversation, but clearly we're both taking the shit out of it. I fucking love this book. It's so good. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, this issue was was awesome. Uh, I really enjoy this series. Um, I am a Scuttlebutt fan now. That's I, I could read a book about Beta Ray Bill and Scuttlebutt and and no one else. Yeah, um, I felt like oh, these two should fuck. <laughs> How to take it there, Phil? <laughs> I bet that's where it's going. We'll yeah. see. And I think it's being the seeds for that are being sown in a way that doesn't feel uh, like ridiculous or forced. Yeah. yeah, it feels pretty normal that you know they would have known they've known each other their entire lives, right? Like Scuttlebutt's existence is based around Beta Ray Bills, um, and she's always been there for him. So it's like an entire library of footage of their time together. And I love the idea that her emotions are kind of like coming into fruition as uh-huh. she's existing. Um, and she's feeling all these things she's never felt before. Um, and they're, and they're both kind of in similar places in their lives, which uh, Daniel does a good job of, of, of stating explicitly, but also allowing some of that to breathe without words. Um, he's a very talented creator, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a this is quite a book. I can't believe I hadn't heard of him before. Like, I mean, I've heard of him, but like, I wasn't really familiar with his stuff before this. And I I want to check it all out because holy shit, does this slay? Yeah, this is quality work. Um, it this issue doesn't necessarily push the story forward terribly much, um, which is kind of surprising for a book that's only going to be five parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it lets the story breathe. And lets you sit with these characters a little more. We needed some time with Scuttlebutt um, and to see, you know, how she's feeling. Um, but also, like, what can she do now? You know, yeah. what, are, what are her powers now? 
how does she fit into this this uh, ragtag group, which I'm loving. Uh, Scourge is a character who, you know, just made his film debut a few years back in Thor Ragnarok and uh, is now, you know, awesome in this book. And it makes me bum that he, like, is dead. <laughs> dead. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's true. It doesn't matter. You could always bring him back. Anyone. Yeah. Uh, but he got his turn, you know, and that was super cool. Um, I can't wait to see Beta Ray Bill on the big screen. I think yep. that um, yeah. as much as this is Daniel Warren Johnson organically wanting to tell a Beta Ray Bill story, he said multiple times that he had this idea. Um, I also think this is like a, a test run. Are people really interested in this character? Is there more we can do with this character? I think he's due for the for the big screen. Yeah, at this point, I mean, like it's funny because I remember when they they have the um, the head in a uh, fucking Ragnarok, and it's like, oh, cool, like Easter egg. But like, yeah, I'm like hungry for it now because I fucking love this book, and I'm like, I'm into this character that I really didn't know at all or give a shit about, you know? Definitely. Um. Yeah, and to your your point about like the squad, I feel like. Scourge is Daniel Warren Johnson knows how to write a comic relief character. Cause like, I feel like he is a, he is a hitting a perfect note for me where every time he has a big moment, I'm like, I fucking love this guy. He's so ridiculous. And otherwise he's just there and quiet. Like, and he talks, but it's not like obnoxious. And I feel like it's so easy to take a character like that and overplay them. Yeah. Whereas like he has like two or three good lines in this and they're funny as fuck. And like, that's it. But, like, the part where he's, like, Scourge, punch it. And he's, like, you know I love buttons. And it's just, like, this dramatic, like, anime slap of the button. It's just, it's really good. It's good physical comedy, you know? The anime influence in this book, the, the manga anime influence is um, really to its strength, I think. Oh, yeah. It, it, there are moments of, 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 you know, play that I think are way stronger for leaning in that direction than they would be otherwise. Um, like Phil brought up the moment where, where Beta Ray Bill uses the, uh, uh, the axe and that's like a thing you see a lot, um, in anime and like this book does it a lot where it's like, um, he does the chop and like the shot of him is him in the foreground and he's like moving through the shot and there's like this blur kind of like scraggly line work on him to like give it this sense of momentum. And like, you literally see that in like my hero academia. You know, like it's like a, a very yeah. uh, classic kind of anime thing that, yeah, I, I think it's part of why this book feels so like fresh is like it is it pulls things from traditional Western superhero comics and like underground comics with an X, you know, like ma- punk magazine kind of comics. And then like, you know, like manga and yeah, it's it's all into this delicious fucking stew that it's been concocted into, you know. Any other thoughts about this issue before we move on? Can't wait for the last two. I am tremendous work. My biggest takeaway from this is how fucking bummed I am that we're more than halfway through this. Because yeah, I wish, this is a, yeah, I wish there was more. I wish but, it was an ongoing. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna buy the trade when it's uh, hopefully released. I wouldn't be terribly supply, surprised if there was more down the road. Mm-hmm. I gotta imagine that this is exceeding their expectations. Let's talk about something that's exceeding my expectations, I think. Uh, Robin number two. Yeah. Uh, so this is, of course, by Joshua Williamson with art by uh, Gleb Melnikov. 
and um, uh, Luis Guerrero on colors, Troy Petreri on letters. I really like this issue. Me too. This really was a did. great, great, great issue. It's a right lot with you. It was a lot better than the first one. This feels like classic. Kel, tell me if you disagree with me here. I this feels like late '90s, early 2000s, Young Justice, Teen Titans kind of vibes. Yeah, no, yeah, you are spot on. I think, uh, I think this easily equates uh, sits level with any Robin title that's uh, been on the shelves. Easy. The art looks like that too. Hmm. It kind of evokes that vibe for me. Like it almost reminds me of like uh, Battle Chasers. It, yeah. Um, this is a lot of fun. I got to tell you, like Robin comes back to life here and you're given all the exposition of what's going on here, but the way it's like presented uh, in and out with in characters voices is really interesting. Cause you have um, uh, the lady of, of Lazarus or whatever her name is. I think it's like lady Lazarus, mother Lazarus, whatever. She's giving her very um, sophisticated monologue. And then uh, Ravager, I think is her name is cutting it down with like, kind of team talk and it's really interesting uh, and it's really clever uh, the dialogue really pops here and then later you know as, as robin is established here you're you're introduced to, like the big players that are going to be on this island there's respawn there's xxl i'm really interested in seeing more of this character flatline who's already killed robin uh, very dynamic character when her and robin were investigating the island that was some great stuff robin is very um he takes himself very seriously. So having a character around that takes the piss out of him. She literally has a one up on him because she murdered him and black Swan. This is the way this stuff is set up. The stakes are very obvious. It's like a video game. Everyone has three lives they can use in exchange for immortality. And it's another book like beta Ray bill. That's all character driven. Very interested to see where this goes. Yeah, um, I mean, man, I normally don't dig too heavy into the like teen comics. Um, I, 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 the whole like Teen Titans, Young Justice, all that stuff passed me by. Hmm. Um, the hook for me here, obviously, is Damien. I'm here because of that character and because of Joshua Williamson's scripting. I think he's very talented. Um, but what I'm finding is that actually. I really enjoy all these characters. Respawn is like one of my new favorites. I didn't even, I knew the character existed, but like, I didn't, I didn't know what they were like, their personality, but she's, she's really cool. I really like her. Um, oh, and Connor Hawk being here is cool. The third sidekick of the green arrow. That's a character we don't see very often. Yeah. Um, I had no idea who that was. Well, the second. Second. I'm sorry. Yeah. Speedy, uh, uh, red Robin, uh, red, uh, red arrow is the first. This is the second. Yeah. Sorry this book is just so enjoyable and it's like putting Damien in a situation that's very unique and different away from Gotham, away from his comfort zone as it were. And um, it just feels fresh and exciting. And, you know, we talked about the manga influence in, uh, you know, uh, Beta Ray Bill, this book has Mm -hmm. quite a bit of that overtly, um, but also in other ways as well. Like when, um, when, when uh, Ravager looks at, uh robin and she she kind of winks at him you know that was like a super yeah. 
manga moment i feel like um and some of the posing like that is also but then also the little his little um drawings as well are, yeah. are in that style so it's just a really great looking book very well written by joshua williamson a good idea too um that didn't strike me at first as being you know like it was like yeah who cares a lazarus island is kind of dumb i still mm-hmm. think it's a little dumb but it's okay because it's just the setting it's yeah. just the you know the sandbox for these characters to play in and josh yeah. williamson is clearly having a great time these are really dynamic characters um i really want to see how they like play with each other now because there's a bit of a mystery taking place here but then also we're gonna there's a there's an excuse for everyone to fight each other all the time you know yeah sure. yeah i gotta say i found myself really bored by the first issue i was like pretty critical of it i think um not that any of us were super hot on it but it's funny this one was like super expository and was like dropping a bunch of info but i like got more interested in it because of that like i felt like i needed that information um they did in a fun way too you know what i think what what i think what it was about it was that the book has a very old school comic feel like i remember like even like the cover like having like dialogue on it and having like the she'll kill you she's flatline like feels super old school and then like the the book has that kind of rhythm to it where there's a lot of captions there's a lot of characters narrating things and you know like there's some cool splash pages there's a little bit of good action like i i definitely wasn't as high on it as as you guys seem to be um but i went from like reading the first one and being like this feels like a very boring paint by numbers kind of thing to being like it still feels like a bit of a popcorn comic for me but like not in a way that I'm disinterested by, you know? Like, I, I found myself being like, yeah, these characters are fun. Like, oh, like, I am interested in seeing Damien, like, square up with some of these people, you know? Like, I I think if I liked Damien more, I'd be hotter on it, but he's a character that I, I've always found to be, like, a little bit grating. But I also don't have a lot of experience with him. So this issue definitely won me over a little bit and um you know considering we're you know going to be following it uh at least for the foreseeable future um it definitely made me feel a little bit less like oh this is the low point of the week kind of thing whereas i think for three i'm gonna probably be a lot more interested in it than i was in two Beautiful Gosh, art go ahead oh nothing I, I i was gonna talk about how much i really like the art here and the character designs for some of these characters like flatline has a really unique look um and what's his name the guy that you called out sean respawn yeah respawn he's got a respawn. cool that's a cool yeah. design i love the the caption there he's new real piece of work he, his moves are chaotic undisciplined but dangerous just like you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so. good uh joshua williamson is ahead of the curve he taps into in this book uh like I could, I could, I know several people who I could hand this book to, and they would, they would very much enjoy it. That don't read comics. There's a a, a style here, uh, storytelling wise, that I just feel like it penetrates people, mm. and I like. I really think this is a hot book. It's when this very book digestible. is collected, I'm probably gonna give this as a gift to certain people in my life. 
Nice. Yeah, there's no entry point barrier. Everyone knows who Robin is, you know? Yeah. And they even may if... not know who Damien is specifically, but it's, it, the book does a very good job of kind of, uh, you know, familiarizing you with, yeah. uh, with its cast of characters. So, okay, yeah, I'm Batman's son. Got it. And and Gleb Melnikov is a star. Yep. Like, he is a star. I'm glad he's on this book. He's the, the perfect artist for this title. He clearly gets it. Um, I don't know who necessarily came up with like the 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 way that this book would be influenced by manga and the way that it would like kind of feel visually, but he's on point. He's on target, and I think he the sky's the limit for this guy. If he can stop trolling on Twitter so much and pissing people off, I think that like the future is unlimited for him. Great action choreography. When Robin realizes he can cut loose and just <laughs> murder yeah. people, we get like that that action uh, spread of two pages with all the purples and stuff. Uh, just great action choreography. That's a tough. That's a very tough aspect of comic book art is making like action look good. He and does a terrific job. And here. like making it feel dynamic, like mm-hmm. using like yeah. all these different like sized panels, and yep. like then there's like the one that kind of transcends both lines and everything like it's it's very creative um and then it's also followed by like probably my favorite thing in the book where like he throws the sword and he just go does the fucking you know like i've yeah, got my yeah. eyes on you <laughs> that was that's pretty funny but i love how he's like all intense and she just again right gives him the anime wink like yeah whatever <laughs> good stuff murky wants about, on murky again <laughs> let's talk about uh strange adventures number 10 okay this is the issue if you do not enjoy this issue sorry because then that means that this book was never for you and you wasted uh 4.99 times 10 to get to this point <laughs> and hate this and hate yourself you just now you just hate everything at this point um but so but, i should just go then <laughs> i'm go so shut, glad you said my that. part here or speak Tell tell us now. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't completely hate it. Um, the I think I, I think it's one of those things where I I feel like I called the twist. I don't know issue four or whatever when we uh, or somebody in the Discord said you know he murdered uh, his daughter. Um, I think I think the twist. Uh, works uh for for the sake of what it is um so just full spoilers uh alana is reading a letter from mr terrific that sums everything up and basically the last page is uh him telling alana that uh, I, sh- I want to make sure and get my 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 facts straight here. Uh, uh, Strange made a deal with the Pickets in exchange for their defeat. He gave them Earth mm-hmm. to invade. Yeah, he sold out Ron uh, to Earth, and they created an elaborate ruse that allowed him to keep murking off picks. Uh, basically to keep up his PR image. But right. That's basically what happened. 
and they have his daughter as kind of a uh, collateral. As collateral, exactly. Uh, and to cover all that up, Adam faked their uh, Alana's uh, uh, Leah's death. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a good summary of what happened. Yeah, um, I think it's fine. I as I was reading this, my my thing was this issue really solidified the fact that I would love to read this again in trade. We've been saying that a lot with uh, Strange Adventures since the beginning is how yeah. this might benefit as a, kind of a, a concentrated reading, perhaps. Um, I wasn't crazy about this issue. Um, I've been real hot and cold with it. Uh, my main issue is not really anything to do with Adam Strange's character development choice here or, or um, the twist. I think that stuff's um, kind of interesting. It's really like the style of delivery, like where it's just this letter for like, what, 20 something yeah. straight pages. And I, I I have to feel like there's a better way of doing it. Um, it's a it's a it's a Tom King kind of thing to do. And like it, it, it makes what should have to me felt like a more dynamic moment, I guess, this re- realization feel a lot more flat because it just exposited like all this information to us all at once in the form of a letter. Um, and I, I found myself just losing interest in it more than anything else. So, well, and I don't to to that point. Like, there's a degree of like dragging it on. That too. Yeah. To to the point where like there's a a, a panel of Alana in the bathroom looking at her phone. I I assume you know to create the intimacy of reading this letter. But I, I, I just like, I don't know. It's one of those things where, where I read it and I got there and I went. <sighs> yeah. It, it, it comes back to a, a criticism. I find myself landing on with King a lot, which is like interesting concepts. Um, not a, like the plot itself is not necessarily bad, but the execution for me, at least, I'm sure you guys might feel differently, Sean and Pete, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Where you at, Pete? I definitely disagree. Um, I think this is a strong issue. Uh, I think that um, the things that you guys are, are are kind of laying out as like the the moments that didn't work for you, like I I feel like this device really works well. Um, because I, I feel like to me, what I took away from this is like the juxtaposition of the letter and this day that Alana is going through, right? Like, cause what you're seeing here is you're literally watching her like entire day and like all the things that she's doing for Adam. Yeah. And Mr. Terrific calls out in his letter at one point about how, you know, like that that's something he misses about his own wife right is that she how she would fight for him and having somebody uh in his corner in that way and that like you know then that's like kind of juxtaposed with the 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 like some of the most heightened points of the war right and to me like my takeaway is that is is the last couple pages you know it's like it's that 
through all of this, she's stood by him. She supported him. You know, she has uh, been there to deal with a lot of the, the shit that he's been unable to deal with and that he's lied to her, right? And that, you know, um, she, like, has, <laughs> while been driving the ship, been doing it with, like, you know, only half the information, and that, like, he's allowed her to commit herself fully to this fight that is, like, rooted in his dishonesty to her. And, yeah, I think for me, like, it it establishes a mood, you know? Like, it, it very much establishes a rhythm for this issue and that you are seeing a mix of these very important things in her day of her meeting with the president of her consulting, uh, with the military, um, to then also like, you know, just a vulnerable human moment of like her in the bathroom, you know? Um, and I think it getting in that, that rhythm and showing her kind of how much she's doing and how instrumental she is to, you know, um, Phil, you brought up earlier, like to Adam's PR, his brand, right. Or whatever. Um, and that, he's even been dishonest with her, you know, and like what that means for her, given how much she's invested and how much she's sacrificed. And, you know, um, on the point of her, of her child, right? Like that she's mourned, um, this loss that he orchestrated. Um, that's a tough pill to swallow. I gotta tell you, man, I, uh, I really love this issue. I, I thought you would. Yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. Um, I think that Tom King set up a mystery that for all the flaws, and I do think there are many flaws in some of the earlier issues, um, really paid off. Because while we all understand and we knew that someone here was lying, I don't think that any one of us really hit on exactly what was going on here. Mm-mm. And Pete, I, I think you really said it all about how, why this issue works. Um, uh, I, I think that normally I would probably castigate a book for uh, telling and not showing, but the way that it utilizes Mr. Uh, Terrific's letter to explain all of the bs all of the lies um as we watch her you know as you said um go to war her own war fighting for her husband who is a liar who has lied to her she's innocent she's she doesn't know these things you know and think about that right like her husband is allegedly this hero who saved her world you know and that the loss was their daughter. And she thinks that they're grieving together the same loss. She thinks that her husband is being maligned unfairly by these people. And she's like, hey, yeah, you know, he did some rough stuff while he was over there, but he did what he had to. And it turns out that it's all bull. Like every aspect of it is a lie. I love that. That's so crazy. That is so crazy. Um. 
I, like, I can't sing the praises of this enough. And, and I will say, I was a bit conflicted. And it wasn't until the actual reveal that I was like, oh, shit. And then I went back and I read, like, a lot of it again. Mm. And I, I was like, wow, this is one hell of a comic book I, I'm I, holding in my hands right now. I think the whole thing is boiled down to the, the panel. It's the last uh, panel on the page before the last page where um, the caption from Mr. Terrific says, and he lied to you. It's after she punches the mirror. There's blood. There, It's a crack over her face. You can see her blood splattered on the glass, and you see his dialogue, right? He says, honey, are you upstairs? A lot of blood today. We're losing ground, but we'll come back. I just, you don't know how much I need to see your lovely face right now, right? And it's like, it's all bullshit. Right? Like, oh, yeah, we lost him, but it's going to be fine. No, it's fucking not. Like, you orchestrated this entire thing and you're lying to her fucking face, you know? Um, while she's out there pushing this false agenda that you have, you know, uh, tricked her into and that's allowed true. her to go through all this fake pain and grief. Uh, that's, that's the question now, right? Is where does Adam Strange go from here? Honestly, there's no real redemption. Like, hell. He goes to hell. I mean, this this either has to be like an out of continuity story, or like this completely recontextualizes everything about Adam Strange going forward. Yeah, this this character is is dead. Like, there's just yeah. no there's no way to bring him back from this. Like, oh my god, it's it's just over. Yeah, but I am down for sacrificing a C list character, maybe for a, a story like this. Sure, F, I don't care. Yeah, um, for a story like this and uh i wish marco was here because he you know has been a a champion for this book since it started and this is his redemption arc as far as i'm concerned um i've i've actually enjoyed the series for for the last several issues i think i jumped on board as a big fan around issue seven um but this was great there was like it was way less strict i felt about the 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 um I guess like separation between Mitch and, and Doc Shaner's art, the, the wall started to bleed in where, you know, they would share the same page with yep. each other, which wasn't too terribly uh, uh, regular before. If, if, I, if ever, I don't I think know if the, ever saw that really. I think the last issue or the issue before that was the first time that that had happened. Like, I think that's a very, very recent development. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like the last two issues of this book, as long as we really see Adam Strange get taken to task, as long as like everything really falls apart, like this is going to end great. Famous last words, right? You notice I didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Knock on wood. (laughs) The echoes of heroes in crisis. All right, yeah, but that, that was so bad by this rough. point, though. Yeah, that was like that was not even well, good at any point. Mister Miracle, which I enjoyed all the way through, had kind of a uh, not the best landing at the end. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah, but but you know, we're the, hoping for the best over here, Phil. So why don't you shut up? <laughs> I turned the corner on Alana. Uh, obviously, you know we all like her. Like she's a smoke show, and you know she's just like a like a, a real um you know she's she's precise and she she's, commands she's a talented. fucking room you know yeah <laughs> but to know that she's 
actually been honest the entire time. Oh my god. Yeah, Dude, her husband yeah, sucks shit. Yeah, it it makes it makes me like her even more and it definitely makes her sympathetic in a yeah. way where I'm like she's fucking playing all the angles. Like I never felt bad for her, right? I always felt like she was in total control and to see that like she also thought that and has this extremely rude awakening is like Yo, fuck this guy. Yep. Yo, fuck Adam. This guy sucks. <laughs> there was a part of me in, uh, I think it's issue seven or eight, where they're in the snow. She's she's walking with Mr. Terrific, and they're, like, in the snow. Yeah. I felt then, oh, man, like, she's she doesn't know what's going on here. Mm. And I just thought that, you know, uh, uh, Adam Strange killed their daughter because he was like in a mode of like extreme PTSD and he just killed her in a rage and he covered that up. Um, I didn't realize he covered everything up. This is insane. He concocted uh, a like, whew, like he's he created a giant invasion of Earth. That's bad. Like that. Like that's like some next level bad. Like you think about that's super uh, villainy. Yeah, Coast City when when Green Lantern like destroyed Coast City like this is worse than that because he wasn't even like like you know he went through some stuff. Well, Green Lantern killed the green the other Green Lanterns. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he murdered the all of the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, um, but this is even like worse in my mind because it's slimy, right? Like. He didn't even do anything physically. Like all the shit we've seen from the book, the Strange Adventures book that he wrote, it happened, I guess, but it was it was orchestrated. Like this is Behind all closed doors. Well, and the the fact that like it was orchestrated, and then there's like a bunch of fucking panels in this, and like throughout where we've just seen him commit war crimes and be like very like like you know there's the scene in this where he's like lining all these people up. And just shooting them in the back of the head. He's executing them. Or like the the part where um, uh, they there's that big monster or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, isn't it beautiful?" And it is. And then they kill it. And then it's like the shot of him, like, "Oh, hey, soldier, thanks for your service." Shoots him in the face, oh. and then like Alana laughs about it. Well, they're in a the war, right? No, right. But that's my point. Is um, those things are always bad right they're always ghoulish to see somebody um what's the word i'm looking for like right. enjoying war yeah. right like that, that is all that is that should always be bone chilling in, in some way right um but i think that a lot of the way that we justify you know military conquest or military narratives is by we're fighting for something, right? It, right. It, when you're a freedom fighter, you know, uh, it's easier to justify war crimes against people that are trying to exterminate you, right? Or whatever. Human. Yeah, right. You, you can dehumanize them because they're evil. Um, whereas when you find out that the entire thing is orchestrated and that they were allowing him to commit war crimes to, like, keep up a front and he's, like, there, like, making jokes while he fucking shoots a guy in the face and everything is like stark yeah i mean it, it it paints the picture of somebody who's like uh, a sociopath rather than like a soldier in a conflict right if, if adam strange created some kind of deal where he spared ron for earth 
and that was it. It was a means of saving his new home. That's bad, but at least he comes up more sympathetic because it's like he doomed all these other people to save his people. You know, he was put in the got to save my wife and child. You know, the most unconscionable position to make a deal like that. But it's 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 much worse than that because it's like he does he does he makes a deal like this and elevates his own branding basically. Well, and yeah. it's, it fucking trades his daughter. Yeah. You know what he's I mean? Like, wor- go ahead, John. He's the worst person on earth. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. I can't get, get over off of it. it. Like, he is, he is the worst person on earth. Like, I actually hope that they bring him to like Washington and they just, you know, hoist him up and they allow people to throw garbage at him. Like, I just, <laughs> I want something that base to happen to Bring him. back That's the stockades. Yeah, I know, Kale, but you know what? I don't want him to die immediately. I want him to be punished. Like, I want that. you to sit like, I, This is like, like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever hated a character as much as I hate this guy now. Like, I want bad for him. I wish yeah. him the worst. And that's great. Like, Tom King made me hate him. And I don't feel this way most of the time. Most of the time, like, you watch a movie and you don't like the villain, but you're like, but you, you you know, but you like him, like you you know yeah. what I'm saying, like yeah. I hate this guy. I hate him. It's like fuck this guy so hard. This is how I felt about Triple H in 2003. Like I want worse. I want the worst. <laughs> I want bad for him. My man's got go away heat. <laughs> Mr. Terrific. He's grieving the loss of his family. He and Alana, they're gonna wind up together. They'll have their happily ever after. Yo, I hope so. That'd be great. Then, then there's a new story. Then we got to find Tom King. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Tom King, just give me an issue 13, and it's just them macking it. <laughs> hate. Um, <laughs> the art is is tremendous in this mm-hmm. issue. A lot of this is uh, Alana. You know, most of it is Alana. And Olivia Munn. Ju- yeah, Olivia Munn, basically. <laughs> um, and, you know, Mitch Jared's. He can draw a woman. Olivia Munn. <laughs> he can draw Olivia Munn. Uh, it's great. You know, we get to see her, you know, the take bathroom. a shower, take a crap, maybe, <laughs> whatever she was doing on the toilet. Fantastic fly work. Fly around carrying her heels. Like, you know. Just... I, I love that page. I think that's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, just typical stuff that people do in a day. Girl boss um, shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's all gorgeous and it's all beautiful. Pooping. Pooping. Yeah. You know, you got to once or twice. Yeah, um, it's uh the work on this book is just so good. Like you have two S tier artists doing very different styles that are both really exceptional. X Men twenty is my book of the week. This is definitely second. I don't think it's a close second because X Men twenty is probably my favorite comic of this year, but this I really enjoyed it. I, I I know Kale and Phil that you didn't, so it's probably hard for you to have to listen to all of this, all this beautiful words that Pete and I are using to describe this. Um, but suck it. <laughs> it's I mean, it's not unearned, especially on the art front. Like you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, from the art side of things, it's like you know, like this I, book I has always been good. Like I like I said, like I can definitely see what Tom King was doing, and I can appreciate it, but here in this form in the gap between months you know uh, the months between each issue it just doesn't land for me 
Yeah, and you guys are entitled to like it, obviously. I'm just um, oh, again. Uh, are they? Chet, hang on, Phil. Chet, pick up your phone. Check again. Oh, oh, our listeners say that we all thought this book sucked. So never mind. Damn, oh. we're not entitled to like it. Damn. <laughs> uh, one, one very last thought uh, that is only occurring to me now. Uh, so she goes about her whole day having already read this letter. Yeah, right? so she had to sit with it. That's fucked. Yep. That's bad. That's so messed up. Oh my god. She's like out there fucking doing interviews, like covering his ass and everything. It's like this taking boy. selfies. See, I, I sort of fucker. I I sort of wondered if that's what she was like looking at her phone. But like if that's what we're supposed to imply that you know while she's on the toilet maybe she's reading this letter but it, or she got a physical letter it's a physical letter yeah because he leaves I mean, she I, she can take it's a phone camera she that's a that's pictures a, of the letter that's a reach that's, yeah i don't know i i is I, it in 2021 you've never yes. taken a picture of a letter to read it later to read no yeah when you're busy no when, first of all when are you getting letters second of all you don't know my life how busy right. are you that you can't? We're going to wrap this up. We've <laughs> talked long enough, and obviously, Kale is going crazy. He's hysterical. Uh, let us know your thoughts about these books. We were long in the tooth on this one, but that should show you guys how much we enjoyed uh, You know, doing this, having these conversations, and to varying degrees, enjoying these books. Uh, so if you enjoy our reviews, let us know by leaving us a follow and a rating and a review wherever you're listening to us. If that happens to be YouTube, make sure that you guys are subscribing, liking the video, share with your friends. All that stuff's free to do. It helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Listen to our main show for more thoughts about X-Men 20 and where that story could go. Um, and for all the other cool stuff that we do on that show every single week, every Monday it drops. So join us for that. Join our Discord server for more conversations about these books. And tune in every single week for reviews like these uh, on the Comics Pals. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care, guys. See you next week. What if Mr. Terrific is wrong and Adam Strange is innocent? Then you're guilty.